Really grateful that we're here, not there every week. But if you're uh, visiting here with us today, I want to welcome you. It's so uh, awesome that you're here. I want you to feel at home. And uh, you're going to enjoy today. You may not agree with it, but you're going to be entertained. Okay, it's great to have the, the, the youth ministry, uh, the junior high students. If you're a junior high student, go ahead and raise your hand. Say, I'm here. It's great to have you guys here in big church. They don't want to be here. They feel awkward. There's a reason you're here. Uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, our part four of our series, Right in the Eye. And uh, this is a series we've been doing for several weeks. And if you want to go back and look at what we've been talking about the last three weeks, you can go to our website, lighthousecoc.com, and you can watch, you can listen, you can re-listen. You can even make fun of me if you want uh, in the lessons, whatever you need to do. But there it is. So today, I uh, told you guys we're going to be talking about uh, Samson. And before we go there, I got a question for you. And it comes, this question comes from a book that a young woman wrote, and I uh, highly recommend if you have a young teenage daughter, or even boys, but it's particularly for teenage daughters, uh, if you have one, I would pay her to read this book. Okay? You ever do that, bribe your kids to read books? Highly recommend it. You know, $10 for a normal book. This is a $20 book right here, okay, for you to get her to read this book. It's called, just the, it's called Popular, and the subtitle is called Boys, Booze, and Jesus. You know, just the subtitle alone makes you want to go, okay, I got to read this book and got to get these girls. But she poses a question in the book that I think is a really, really good question. And here it is. It says this, what do you do when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong? What do you do when your body wants something that your heart knows is wrong. You know, and if you're a guest here today and you say, well, I'm not really religious and I don't know, I don't know if I like this church, I don't know if I, hey, listen, you could set all that aside and maybe you're here because you were bribed to come here, but this is something really important because regardless of your belief system, this is a really important question. And you know, all of us have had an experience at one time or another in our lives right? A, a, a situation where we, we violated this. You know, it was a party. It was a business trip. Maybe it was spring break. You know, and you go back and you look at that and you say it was a situation, it was a date, and you go, I wish I would have listened to my heart instead of my body. And the answer to this question is so significant because the answer to this question can affect the rest of your life. And it really determines who you are as a, as a, as a person. It, it kind of breaks down. We talked about this last week, whether you're an inside-out person or an outside-in. See, an outside-in person is basically looking at what's out there and available, and I'm going to decide what I'm going to do based on the outside of what's happening around me. Versus an inside-out person is a person that they're letting God steer. They're letting their moral system steer. They're letting their conscience steer their decisions. So they go from the inside out, and they make totally different decisions. They let their heart and their conscience guide extremely important decisions. So this is what we talked about last week. 
And this whole series that we're doing, the five-part series, next week we're going to be talking about Gideon, and don't want you to miss next week because that's really important. But we're looking at this time period in Israel when, you know, when Moses came and led the people out of Israel and he set them free, and then he turned it over to Joshua, and Joshua took them into the promised land, and they, they got the promised land, and he got them all set up in their dorm, their new dorm room, and their freshman year in college, and so he said, I got to go. I'm going home, and you guys are on your own. Here's God's commands. Here's what God has commanded you to do. Now live by this. Go with this. And as most freshmen start off, how did it go for them? Really bad. Basically, they had God's law, they got, they, but they were affected by the people around them a lot more than they letting God dictate, and they basically ended up in a disaster. And look at this. This is kind of the cycle for 300 years. It wasn't just their freshman year. This was 300 years of the cycle over and over and over again. They were disobedient. Then disaster would strike. Then they would call their mom and say, hey, mom, can you come and pick me up? I'm in a tough spot. Can you bail me out of jail? Sound familiar? And this is what happened to Israel for 300 years, over and over and over again. And guess what God did each time that they prayed, they repented, and they, they tried to change, but they never got this figured out. They kept on repeating it over and over and over again. Sound familiar? Yeah, it's a lot like you and me. This is kind of how we, we go about things. And this was the, the last verse in the book of Judges. And this has kind of been the overhanging verse in our series. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And basically what they were set up to be was a theocracy, that God is our king. He's given us his law. He's given us the rules to follow. And the judges were put in place to uphold those laws. And basically what Israel did for these, these, this during this time is they abandoned, ignored God, and basically what was going on around and the nations around them, they adopted their lifestyle. And so today we're going to look at this story, and through the whole book of Judges, there's 12 judges, but two in particular we're looking at. This week we're looking at Samson. Next week we're going to look at Gideon. But Samson was quite a character. I encourage you, go and read about Samson. Okay, Judges 14, 15, and 16. Read it. It's, it's very entertaining. But Samson, like most men, he had issues. All men have, have issues. All of us do. And here's the thing about Samson. Samson's story is a microcosm of Israel. Because basically Israel was chosen by God to do something special. And the way Samson came about was the same. In fact, Samson's story is a really cool story. It's like most Bible stories. It starts out, a man and a woman, they couldn't have children. And so an angel comes to visit them and says, hey, guess what? You're going to have a child. God's going to grant you. And guess what that child is going to be? A boy. Because that's the way they always were. It was a boy. God always delivered a boy. And so it was very different because the angel said, this boy is going to be set apart by God. 
He's going to be special to God. In fact, from birth, he is going to have the Holy Spirit of God. And here are some instructions that go with this child that you're going to have. He is going to be a Nazarite. And what it was was a vow that people would do, and they called it a Nazarene vow. And basically what people would do is they would decide for at least like 30 days, they would, they would not cut their hair, like some of you today, you know, for 30 days, and they basically wouldn't be around dead people, which a lot of us don't, but they, they couldn't do that. And also, they, they, they couldn't drink any alcohol. Some people did it for 90 days. Some people who were extreme would do it for a year. So if you saw an Israelite walking around with long, unkept hair, you'd say, that guy's a Nazarite. He's, he's taking a vow to God. And basically what a Nazarite vow was all about was to get God's attention. It would be like fasting for us. I'm trying to get God's attention. I need his help. I want him to be with me. What was different about Samson is he was a Nazarene, a Nazarene from birth. He had no say in the decision. And so he grew up very special. Now here's the thing about Samson. You all know this. Is, you probably already know this. Samson had a very special gift. Anybody know what that gift was? Man, he was super strong. He was, he was ripped. Now, I don't know if he was physically ripped, but he had the Spirit of God, and he was incredibly, incredibly strong. And because he was so strong, guess what they did? They said, you know what? You're so strong, and you have character, characteristics of a leader. We're going to put you in a special spot. And that spot is they put him as a border guard. And it was on the border between Israel and the Philistine territory, because they were basically at war with the Philistines. But the problem with, with Samson is he couldn't stay on his side of the border. And the interesting thing about Samson's story is that he had issues, and it was just like Israel's issue. You know, Israel, they played around a lot with other gods. Guess what Samson's issue was? Women. He had a problem with women, and not local women, foreign women. And so he was a border guard, and he was basically watching the border. He was big and strong. He was a leader. He was considered a judge, a leader of Israel. But he kept on going over to the other side of the border at night. And guess what he would do? He would spy on Philistine women. And so here's where we pick up the story, and Judges chapter 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah, and look what it says here. And he saw there a young Philistine woman. He saw her. So what's this tell you about his decision-making process? He saw her. He liked her. She was probably hot, you know, hot Philistine woman, right? Very attractive. And he saw her, and he said, man... And look what he says. He comes back home and he says this to his parents. And when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Now, the Philistines, you've got to remember, this was a bad dynamic setup because they were at war with the Philistines. Samson already had a reputation with the people of uh, the Philistines. And the reputation was that he was very strong and he created trouble for them. He was an imposing figure. 
So already, I mean, you got to ask yourself, he, he saw this woman and he's telling his parents, get her for me. And, you know, this, this is, they're, they're, at, they're at war with the Philistines. How do you think this relationship's going to work out? His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among your own people? This word right here, relatives, this probably tells you that uh, Samson's family was from the deep south of Israel. Okay, if you're from another country or you don't understand that, forget what I just said. Okay, he asks him, he says, reset now, reset. He says, or among your people, must you go to these uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? Why are you going there? And basically what it was not, it was not a racist thing, it was their belief system. They were uncircumcised, they were not under the covenant of God. They had a totally different belief system. They believed in other gods. They had a whole totally different moral system. And basically they're saying, this is not going to work for you, Samson. This relationship's going to, in fact, God instructed us not to have relationships with these people and much less marry them. I mean, it was so clear, it was crystal clear. But Samson could not, he says, but Samson said to his father, get her for me. Now, what's that tell you about the relationship mother and father? Man, it's not good. In fact, you kind of get, you get the feeling that maybe his, their son was a little spoiled. I mean, what would you do with a son that was super strong, superhero strong? <laughs> hey, whatever he wants, right? But not a very good example of parenting here. And, and he says, get her for me. She is the right one for me. Now, this phrase right here, right one for me, basically, it fits in perfectly. It's kind of the same phrase as what we've been looking at this whole series. In my eyes, according to me, she's the right one for me. I'm doing what's right in my eyes, not in what's right in God's eyes or in my parents' eyes. I'm doing what's right in my eyes. And so the story goes on, and guess what happens? They go over there, they, they go to, you know, Timnah, the Philistine Terry, they get married in her church. Then in the, the wedding reception and everything, uh, they, there's this adversarial relationship with the Philistines. They make a bet, and, you know, Samson's new wife basically uh, persuades him to tell him what the story was, the riddle was, and it just goes bad, and then Samson gets upset, and then they, he humiliates the Philistines, completely humiliates them, and then leaves. And they take his wife, and they give him to one of another man as her husband or his husband. And basically he comes back for the woman, and kills a lot of these people, and it's a bad situation, so the Philistines come, and they burn the, his wife, his ex-wife, and her whole family, and so basically the relationship ended badly. It's a disaster. That's relationship number one. 
Relationships number two, a little more time goes on, and he, he keeps on sneaking over the border as a border guard, and he goes over, and basically he finds a prostitute, not just a woman, but a prostitute, and he sleeps with this woman, okay? And then they surround the city where he is sleeping with her, and basically they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna capture him, and he basically wakes up in the middle of the night, grabs the doors of the city, and just breaks them down, carries them to the top of the hill, and... That story didn't end very well either. But you see a characteristic of Samson. He's got issues with women. But here's where the story slows down a whole lot. It just goes down into low gear when we get to this woman called Delilah. When you read this story, when you read this, you go, how could any man be so stupid. In fact, the subtitle of our lesson today is, Nobody's That Stupid. And you read it and you go, he's just so stupid. How could, how could any man be, be sexually attracted to one woman that would lead him to make one decision, one bad decision after another bad decision after another bad decision? I mean, who would be that stupid? And the men in the room, what, what would you say? Is it possible for a man to be so stupid? Yeah. That was a strong yes. Do you, do you want to share a story? Yeah, the answer is yes. Can we be so stupid? Absolutely. Men, we can, when we're not driven by God and we're not driven by a right moral system, we do stupid, stupid things, and women usually are at the center of it. And some of you women are saying, man, I love this church. I love what we're talking about. Before you get too high on your high horse, okay, I got to talk with you because you don't help us as women. And here's the reason why you don't help us, because you... You are naive. Let me break it down for you. We, we as men, we're pretty simple. We're simple. Okay? Here are our needs. Okay? You can break it down. Number one, we need food. Number two, we need sex. And number three, an occasional pat on the head is what we need. Okay? Yeah, good job. You made that touchdown pass. Good job. Good job. Good boy. Good boy. Now get out there and get back to work. Go get a job. Go do, do something. We're simple, okay? And, and if we had to choose, if we had to choose one of these three, we'd probably starve to death. Okay. But see, women, you guys... You guys, before you, yeah, that, that's men. Before you get too high and mighty, you don't help us at all. In fact, you're part of the problem because you're naive. You play the game. You know what I mean? And before you get up and leave, you know, because <laughs> I know you, some of you want to leave, but let, let, me, let me tell you some of the lines that you women believe. You know, if, if you don't believe... If, if, or if you believe in evolution, if you believe in evolution, this very well might shake your faith in evolution. 
Because you would think after thousands of years of women evolving, they'd figure this out, and, and some of this naivetivity would, would, it would evolve out of women. But it hasn't. It's still the same ridiculous ignorance that happens over and over again with men. Let me, let me tell you some of the lies that men tell women. And you believe it. I love you. I need you. Let's move in together and let's live together. Let's try this out before we get married. Let's see if we're sexually compatible before we tie the knot. I mean, God wouldn't. I mean, they bring, guys bring God into it. God wouldn't give me this desire if he wouldn't want me to fulfill it. And we're one before God. It's just a piece of paper when we get married. It's just a certificate before God. We're, we're together, right? And women, you believe this stuff. You go for it. And you buy it. And there's this woman, her name is Susan. She's a counselor of young, young women. And she gets all these young women to come into her office and, and give advice. And they ask for advice. And they always come in and they always say, but I love him. And she says this. She, she asks this question. She says, what do you love about him? What do you love about him? Okay, and... and Here's the deal. If there's nothing great about him, you're better off without him. Why do you love him? Really, think about that. And, you know, she deals with it all the time. And, and, and listen, I know you guys, you, you say, well, this is my story. Some of you, are, you're here today and you're in this situation right now. You're living with somebody or vice versa. And you say, well, this is my situation. You don't know my story. Well, let me tell you this. You know your story and maybe about a half dozen other stories. From where I sit, I know hundreds of stories. Hundreds of them. And all of them are a disaster. And you've got to take a very hard look at this question. If there's nothing great about him, you're better off without him. Amen. And here's another thing for the women in the house. i, I got to say this. God designed your body as the dessert, not the appetizer. And if you keep on serving up your body as the dessert, who's going to stick around for the main meal? And this is flawed. This is, this, is, this is what women get sucked into over and over again that they think, I've got to put the cart before the horse so that I can get him into the relationship. And then you wonder why the relationships end the way they do over and over and over again. See, because some of you, you're, you're trolling with your bodies. God didn't, God didn't design you for that. Don't you realize that there's so much more about you that's special? So I'm picking on the women a little bit. Let's get back to the story. Okay? Guys, don't worry. I'm, I'm, I'm coming for you shortly. Okay? Because Samson is all about us. 
Okay, look, chapter 16, verse 4. Here the story gets started. Sometime later, now here's where the relationship is different. It's different. Sometime later, he fell in love. Now she's the one because he's in love this time. It wasn't a physical attraction. It's love. He fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure. Now, look, look at this word. What's a lure? What's a lure? A lure is something that you use to fish. But what, what's included in that beautiful-looking fish? Hooks. And hooks don't come out. And so they're using her as bait, and there's going to be hooks so this is the beginning of a wonderful relationship. <laughs> See if you can lure him to showing him the secrets of his great strength so we, and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you, now here, listen to this, ladies, 1,100 shekels of silver. So what's important to women? I could put a list up here for the women. Okay. So what do you think? Now we're going to see what this woman's all about, right? Five rulers, 1,100 shekels each. It's hard to do the exchange rate of 3,300 years or so, but it's roughly about $100,000, what they were offering her in today's. Hard to tell, though. We read on. Very next thing. So Delilah said to him, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. <laughs> what do you think? How's this relationship going to go? I mean, Samson, he should have known right away by this question. Why would you ask this question? Now, I got to tell you this. This, was, this question was probably not asked over coffee. It was probably after the dessert part. And so she had him right where she want him, wanted him. And so she asked him the question. And here's what Aunt Samson says. He answered her, if anyone ties me up with seven fresh bowstrings. Now think about that, bowstrings. Seven, seven fresh bowstrings that have not been, not been dried. I will become as weak as any other man. Are you, Samson, like any other man? No, you're set apart by God. Why, why would you introduce this? And so here's the rest of the story. Those five rulers, they bring Delilah the, the seven fresh bowstrings. And basically there's a passionate night, probably drinking involved, and he passes out. And as he's passed out, she ties him up. And so she wakes him up and she says, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he snaps the bowstrings like they're nothing. Now, what do you think she says after that? With the men hidden in the room. Now, this is weird. They're in the room. They're in the room. I mean, talk about stupidity. He's with her, with this woman who's tying him up. And they're in the room. With the men hidden in the room, she calls him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easy as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. 
So the secret of his strength was not discovered yet. So he goes on and, and basically look at, look at what Delilah says. Then Delilah says, you've made a fool out of me. You've lied to me. Now, talk about the pot calling the kettle black. Her whole ordeal is a lie. And she's calling him a liar. You know, she's, she's manipulating him. And she says, you've lied to me. Come on now. Tell me how you can be tied. Now, this is weird. He kind of likes it. The whole tied up thing. And it's weird. Okay, but you've got to stop and think. You're in enemy territory, right, on your own. And you're with this woman who wants to tie you up and wants to know how she can subdue you. And so then he goes on to say, well, it's not, you know, well, it's not the bowstrings. It's, it's new rope. You got to tie me up with new rope. So another night goes by and, you know, passionate night and, you know, and they're together. And, and then he passes out again and she ties him up. And then... You know, she wakes him up. She says, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he snaps the new ropes like they're nothing. And so, again, we got this situation. And then she tells him, you know, well, you're, you're, you're toying with me. And then another time comes and she says, well, it's not the new ropes. It's you got to get a sewing machine. And if you get a sewing machine and, and, you, and you weave my hair, now he's getting close. Now he's getting close to how he can be subdued, because his hair is the power. He says, if you tie the fabric, or if you sew in the fabric with my hair, seven locks of my hair, I'll become as weak as any other man. So she does it. Another passionate night, he's passed out, she gets the sewing machine, and she's, she's sewing his hair, and then when it's all done, she's, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon you, and he wakes up and he snaps, breaks the sewing machine, and then let's hear what she has to say third time around. Delilah then said to him, all this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. Then she said to him this third time, how can you say, how can you say you love me when you won't confide in me? This third time you've made a fool of me and you haven't told me the secret of your great strength. I mean, come on, guys. Look, how can you say you love me? Well, yeah. How can you say you love me? And guys, at this point, you've got to ask yourself, wouldn't Samson wake up at this point three times around and this woman, this woman is obsessed with tying him up and subduing him. Wouldn't you suspect at some point, but it gets worse. With such, now ladies, this is in the Bible, okay? I don't know how it got yellow, but it's in the Bible. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day after day. Day. Until he was sick to death. Now, the sex didn't work. 
So she resorted to nagging. Now, I got I to gotta talk to the women one more time. Listen, you guys have such incredible power. But in many ways, you use it in the wrong ways. You know, instead of emphasizing your beauty from the inside, you, you, you troll with your bodies, and then, and then and when things don't go, you resort to this. Let me just say, if you do that, it's going to create a lot of problems. And some of you know this, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the way it's played out, these decisions. Because God has a better plan for your life. So we read on. What happens after the nagging episode? So he told her everything. Now, you would think, man, he should have got up right then and left. He should have hightailed it and said, you know what? I'm in the wrong place in the wrong time. What am I doing in this situation with this nagging woman? I mean, enough is enough. I got to go. And then he tells her, no razor has ever been put on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarene. Now, here's the word. He says it himself. I have been dedicated to God from my mother's womb. This should have sparked his conscience. I'm special. I've been set aside by God for something special. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man, or as everyone would say, as everyone else, everybody else. He goes from being set aside by God from birth. An angel predicted his birth. He had the Holy Spirit of God with him. He was chosen by God. And now he reveals the secret of his strength and basically tells her. And so, well, guess what happens? Another passionate night, drinking the whole thing. And to show you what kind of woman she was, she put him to sleep with his head on her lap. And as he falls asleep and passes out, she has somebody come in and they shave his head. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down. Basically, when he woke up, when they said, the Philistines are upon you, he woke up, and he thought, man, I'm going to break loose just like I'm, I'm, I'm invincible. But the truth of the matter is, God left him. It says that. The Spirit of God left him. Why would God leave him? You see, it, there comes a point in time when you make one bad decision after another, after another, after another, after another. I mean, God can't help you anymore. Is he willing? Absolutely. And it's so sad. Because here's a guy with tremendous potential, and he was set apart to deliver Israel, help Israel, fight battles, deliver people. And yet it gets to this point. And they gouge out his eyes. 
and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding grain in the prison. You know, when they gouged out his eyes, I don't know, maybe it's the movie and me, you know, like movies and they always have these scenes, right? Maybe his last sight, his last physical sight before they gouged out his eyes was Delilah taking the money from the five rulers. What, what, a, what a last sight to see before you're blinded. Maybe his last memory was, his last thought before this happened, before they captured him is, how did I not see this coming? And, you know, it's, it's tragic, but he basically was put in shackles, and this is how he died. He died with shackles on his arms and legs. A prisoner of the same people he tried to emulate. Kind of a, kind of a, a, a really wicked turn. The same people who you're trying to be like, who you're trying to emulate, and can I talk to the men in the room now? The same people you're trying to emulate and be like, you know, the popular crew in the, in, the, in the school, they could very well be your undoing. That crew that you're trying to get in with and hang with, that girl that you're trying to, 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 to overpower, that boyfriend, just for the sake of a boyfriend, just so you can say you have one or have her. could be your undoing and ruin your life, ruin your future. The very people he was trying to emulate destroyed his life. It's a very sad story. Now, here's the good news. It's here for a reason, especially for the men. I want to ask you, do you realize that God wants to do something with your life? Young men, older men, middle-aged men, do you realize that God wants to do something special with you? Why, why would you allow yourself? You know, things like, and, and, and for, for Samson, what was it all about? His eyes. He let things in. Via his eyes, he was looking at things. He was looking at images. He was looking at women. He was looking at maybe outward things, and those outward things were determining his steps and his decisions. And I want to talk with the men about images, pornography. Because, you know, when we're young men, it's kind of cute. Somebody at school, they show you, hey, look, he, he, he. You have no idea. This is going to ruin your life. It's going to destroy an incredible gift. It's not meant to be toyed with like that. And let me say to this, some of the older men in the room, you married men, why, why, would, you, why would you let that in? Why would you watch some of the things? Why would you entertain yourself with some of the things that you entertain yourself? Movies, they have scenes even. Why would you do that? when it's going to ruin your marriage, when it's going to ruin your family. And like I said before, 
If you guys knew the number of stories that I hear that we as ministry staff and the elders, we hear over, and it's not just here in the United States, it's all over the world. It's the same. And here's the thing, you have no idea what God wants to do in your life. You're special, you're, you're set apart by God. You want, he wants to do something, but you allow these things to happen. And, and Paul, 1,300 years later, look what he says about our bodies. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? When he says the Holy Spirit, it's the same Holy Spirit that led the people of Israel through the desert. The same Holy Spirit that empowered Samson. And if you have decided to follow Jesus and be his follower and you've repented of your sins and you've gotten baptized in the name of Jesus, then you're somebody special. If you haven't done that, I want to encourage you to study the Bible and do that. Because God wants to do something special with your life. But if he's done that, brothers and sisters, don't you realize who you are, who is in you, whom you've received from God? And he goes on to say, you are not your own. This body that you have, these eyes that you have, you think it's all you and you've got your life and you've got, it's you. It's not. It says it here. You were bought at a price. Therefore, do what? Honor God with your body. Have you ever thought about honoring God with your sexuality? I mean, you think, well, that, that, I don't know. I don't like to think about it that way. Let me, let me just help you. You need to think about it. Because when you cross that line sexually, it's not just a handshake. It's, it's deep and it's spiritual and it affects your, your whole life, your whole future. And what he's saying here is treat your body with respect. You say, well, you're, you're a minister and, you know, you're married and you don't understand what it's like to be single. And you don't understand. I understand. I was a follower of Jesus for five years as a single man. And I remember reading about Samson. And I remember going back and doing an inventory of my life before and I said, you know what, what an idiot. That was me totally, totally over and over again. But God gave me a new shot. In fact, he bought me at a very high price. What's that high price? On Friday night, we went to go see the movie Son of God. Highly recommend it. You can't see it enough. To see what Jesus went through, I don't care whose version, Mel Gibson version, this version, I don't care who it is, anything that remotely resembles what Jesus did for us on the cross wakes you up. You walk out and you go, wow, God. You did this for me. What can I do for you? What can I change for you? How can I honor you with my eyes, my hands, my legs, my body? What can I set aside? And so for those five years, I abstained from all sexual relationships. Zero. At 21 years old. With my hormones pumping full blast. 
okay? Full blast. You say, well, you don't know. The desire is so strong. Yeah, when it's uncontrolled, it's real strong. But when that dog is on a leash, under God's leash, you can control it. When you realize the price that was paid, you get the value system out. And let me tell you, it, it led us into a marriage and a relationship that was like no other. And so if you are in a physical relationship and you're not married, I want to challenge you today to abstain. Study the Bible. I did it. And it changed everything for me. And to honor God with your body. Let's wrap this up. And as I said before, if you only knew what I know, all the stories, all the situations, if you knew, if you knew what I know and what I've heard, it would scare the hell out of you. You would not walk around thinking, it's no big deal. No, it is a big deal. It's a huge deal. So let's, let's go back to the original question. What do you do when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong? What do you do with that? Here's what you do. Instead of doing what is right in your own eyes, like Samson, do what you suspect is right in your own heart. See, because I can talk about this and you can leverage it with the world and everybody else is doing it, but there's something inside of you. There is something inside of you, just as it was in me. I was a follower of the world, but I knew, I knew in my conscience, I knew in my heart of hearts, this is wrong. I would leave my girlfriend's house and I would say, this is wrong. This doesn't work. Do what's right. And if you're married and you're a follower of Jesus, do what's right. Do what's right in God's heart. And do what's right in your own heart because you know it. So I want to leave you with this. This is really a question of yielding your heart to God. And I would encourage you to get some help and invite people into your life. This is what did it for me. I got let people in. I talked to people. I had conversations. People that I respected. People that I admired. Had conversations. And they helped me out. They inspired me with their example, with their heart. And there is a refuge. And then the, the, the last thing is, know that God has a plan for your life. Don't lowball your life. Don't lowball your relationships. You could have the best. Why would you stoop for the worst? And let me bring you back to the original question as we get prepared for the communion. What's the price tag for your physical body? What's the price tag for your soul? It's Jesus. Jesus paid for you and me to make this change. When I got that, I'm all in. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. Just don't toy with this. Let's, let's go all in.
for God. Pray with me, if you would, for the communion. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for the story of Samson. It's hard, God, but I know that this is really, uh, for some people, they wanted to get up and leave a long time ago. It makes them feel really uncomfortable. But I pray, Father, we can deal with that uncomfortability because later it's going to be horrific. God, we want to avoid those mistakes. We don't want to live as slaves to our sin. We want to be free. Father, thank you for providing freedom for us. Thank you for Jesus who died for us on the cross to set us free from our sin and from the sin around us. Open our eyes and help us to repent and change and honor you with our body. Thank you for Jesus' body that was crucified for us. Thank you for his blood that gives us forgiveness. We love you. Bless this communion. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.